When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Drop Step, episode 21 today. We're not just discussing one team, we're discussing two. I've got a very special guest on in Lewis. Zatzman. Lewis is the editor-in-chief at Raptors Republic. He covers the Bucks for NBA.com. I'm incredibly jealous that that's his day job, but uh, he's a great basketball mind. And I'm really happy to have him on the drop step. We're going to cover those two teams today. Lewis, how are you doing, man? Are you excited? I'm doing wonderful, yeah. This is actually the first time I've ever uh, done both on a podcast. I've obviously talked about the Raptors plenty, about the Bucks plenty, never the two. So I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be super fun. We're always happy to be breaking new ground on the drop step. For those of you don't know, uh, who don't know, Lewis works for Raptors Republic. He is one of the main editors there. And Raptors Republic is like Los Alamos from Oppenheimer. It is the greatest collection of Toronto Raptors media minds you will find anywhere on the internet on the planet. So go and check it out after this podcast. There'll be links in the description below. But Lewis, you've got a great collection of talent there. Do the Toronto Raptors have a great collection of talent right now? What's the general feeling Very around smooth, this season? By the way, um, yeah. I think the feeling is uh, mixed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone within the organization expected them to be particularly good. So even though the team is like the same as last year in terms of record and performance where it's crawl back up to 500, slink your way back down. Last year, they thought they were going to be really good, right? Coming off of the end of 21-22 where they um, won all those games, they they went to the playoffs um, as the five seed against the Philadelphia 76ers. um, And I thought it was a pretty impressive six game series. They thought they were going to be even better. And then they were just, they were not at all last year. This year, very similar, but just without the expectation. So I think there's a little more um, relaxation involved, just a little more acceptance of their fate. Every loss isn't like the end of the world. So that's nice, at the very least, even if they're still losing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's interesting that we're going to be drawing a comparison between the Raptors and the Bucks today, because I, I said to you before we went on air, the Bucks, if I remember correctly, are second in the Eastern Conference. They're rocking like a 10 or an 11-4 record. They're through to the knockout stages of the in-season tournament. Yet all the coverage we seem to see is something's not right in Milwaukee. Have they messed up with this Damian Lillard trade? Whereas the Raptors currently sitting 11th in the Eastern Conference, 8-10, and 10, uh, working a minus one net rating. But 
I think there's some general optimism there, despite a little bit of mystery around what the future holds in store for this team past next year. But I, I think that that optimism has mainly stemmed from Scotty Barnes's breakout season. Lewis, how much have you enjoyed watching Scotty this year? And just take me through, take me through what you've seen change in his game. Yeah, it's been really, really fun. So Darko Ryakovich, the coach, had a really, really good quote the other day, um, which actually got a real laugh. There's a lot of fake laughs in the media room where people try to, you know, keep players and coaches encouraged and keep them talking. This was a real laugh. So he said, you know, someone asked about Scotty Barnes. He said, if you're good at one thing, you can play in the NBA. If you're good at two things, uh, you can be a good player for a long time. If you're good at three things, you can be, you know, a star. If you think you're good at four things, you're going to be in Europe because you're deluding yourself, basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think Scotty Barnes has been towing the line for a long time in his career, which is sort of what Darko is insinuating, of being good at many things. But unless he realizes what his core identity as a player is, he'll never fulfill who he might be as a player. And so I think... On the defensive end, especially this year, we've seen him sort of realize what he's best at, lean into that, both from a team-wide role asked of him and from an individual performance, you know, um, what perspective. So, so defensively, mm-hmm. it's I don't know if I've ever seen a player improve as much as he has. He wow. went from a defensive negative to, you know, People are talking about him. Like advanced stats for a while had him as the most positive defensive player in the league. That's silly. He's not. He's not the most positive <laughs> defensive player on this team. But he is a huge defensive positive, like a monstrous one. Uh, and it's just because he has found those three things he's good at rather than trying to do four. Um, offensively has been, you know, incremental progress in a lot of ways. Yep. The jumper perking up has been probably the single biggest thing. But uh, I think he's still searching for that role. And the team-wide role is shifting from game to game. So that's a lot harder for him to deal with. But, you know, improvement across the board, which is incredibly encouraging, even if he's not who he might become later on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think on the defensive end this year, uh, Scotty's been tasked with basically playing as the low man, right? So Jakob is involved in uh, a lot of the pick and roll defense, whether he's playing like in a drop or at the level, etc. And Scotty has what I think is probably the most fun job in the NBA on the defensive end. You see a lot of stars asked to do this, and I think you get a lot of acclaim for doing it well. It's sort of that Jaron Jackson Jr. role, that Evan Mobley role. And even as we'll come on to, it's a role that Giannis has sort of perfected over the last Mm -hmm. few years. And I think it's just brilliant to see him utilise that athleticism. And just, I I think he sparked a lot of positive possessions on offence as well from his positioning on the defence. He's seen an uptick in his rebounding, sitting at around 92 per game uh the block numbers were absolutely insane to start the year yeah. i think that they've slightly steadied um and a couple of steals as well so sort of getting his hands in the passing lanes having him position closer to the basket just means that he can really be that grab and go guy and i think scotty is best on both ends is going to be someone that's pushing the pace in transition and sort of really playing with a real flow so i've i've loved to see him there on the defensive end and offensively 
suffer i don't watch every raptors game i'll try and watch a few it's quite hard from the uk i'll, I'll always try and catch up on like the high low or you know, synergy wherever you get your highlights and your possessions it looks to me as though one the shot has unlocked a lot of space for him and and whether that shot holds throughout the season you know we'll wait and see but it's it, it just it's seemingly a confidence thing with Scotty. I think that there was so much expectation in that second season that, right, well, you know, rookie of the year, he's going to be an absolute star now. I'm not surprised that he maybe stalled out a little bit last year. But is it is it as simple as just the whole franchise having that continued trust in him? Or have there been sort of micro skills developing that you're not going to quite catch in the background? Definitely the latter. If you actually looked at his rookie of the year season, where mm-hmm. he found his success was mostly in broken plays, in transition, right. and in offensive rebounds. Like his signature play in his rookie year was the fake handoff keeper play, where he then took it the other way to the rim, where he actually had a game winning dunk the other mm-hmm. night with that same play. He had like paces, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but you can't build a career out of you can't build a career of transition, offensive rebound, broken play. I mean, you, you can't, but you can't build a star-level career. And he needed to find more sustainable, reproducible advantages when the defense was saying, okay, what do you got? Like, when he was facing a defender who was standing still, when he had a gap defender on one side, he needed to figure out something. And he just, even though he was great in his rookie year, he didn't really have that. And so shooting 38% from deep this year has meant his defender is a little closer. He is actually seeing defensive attention now from deep, which mm-hmm. is unbelievable. Um, Caitlin Cooper, who's one of my favorite basketball minds, um, says all the time that it's really, really easy to lose your reputation as a shooter. Like if you miss shots for five games in a row, teams might play you differently. But it's really hard to gain a reputation. If you make shots for five games in a row, no one's going to play you as a shooter. You need a lot more success to be played as a shooter. And Barnes is finally getting not played as a shooter, but a little, little, little closer. They're not sitting in the lane and saying, please. Um, and that means a lot for him. You know, his handle's a little tighter. Yeah. Uh, he's His mid-range jumper's better. Even though his finishing is still, um, uh, you know, not what it should be, I think. He's at least forcing the issue, taking that extra dribble. So his, you know, eight-foot finishes have become five-foot finishes. Just mm-hmm. a lot of positive improvement that's all self-feeding, right? It the, the shooting makes the finishing easier. The finishing makes the mid-range jumper easier. The on and on and on. So I think he is finding out what where he can succeed when the play is not broken. And that, to me, is is just huge. A quick note on Caitlin Cooper, if we're keeping our Oppenheimer metaphor going, then she's like the Albert Einstein or Niels Bohr in that film, where she's one of those minds that's a friend of the project, but uh, she's not quite involved full time, right? So the Albert Einstein, if we're going to use that metaphor, would be Blake Murphy, right? Where he he was the main mind of uh, relativity. Uh, before Samson or I were on the scene, he built Raptors yeah. Republic into what it was. He was, he's the reason we have credentials. I mean, in the Toronto market, at least, he's the reason any of us are talking about advanced stats and analytics with the, right. uh, with the fluency that we have, right? He, he, we're only walking in his shadow still. So uh, Caitlin Cooper, I'm sure, has done that for many other markets. 
Um, but Blake uh, has been around a little bit longer and sort of changed earlier what what we did. But Caitlin, I mean, from a coaching standpoint, really high level coach herself, um, X's and O's goes far, far beyond what what Blake ever did. It's just it's wild. It's crazy. Yeah, it's one of those where you feel like you're really getting somewhere with sort of understanding the X's and O's and the basketball and perceiving the game yeah. at a really high level. And then you listen to Caitlin and you think, I've got a long way to go before I well, quite Well, she's get an NBA caliber mind, right? Like she, she yeah. could work on an NBA staff, which is the number of people in the media space that could realistically do that very, very minimal. And they stand out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean... Coming back to Scotty, I think one of the other interesting things that we've seen over the start of the season is that particularly in the first eight to nine games, Scotty really looked like almost an all NBA caliber player, at least like a dead certain all star selection. And there's just been a tip in the balance between him and Pascal. Pascal had a really rough start to the season. And uh, there's an interesting thing, correlation going on where their usage through the first nine and last nine games of the season has flipped where yeah. I think that yeah. Pascal was on about 22% to start the year, Scotty on about 28 and they've reversed. And it's come with a slight reversal in fortune for both players. Lewis, do you think that's just a coincidence? I mean, it's a really small sample size that we're talking about here or has Darko looked and gone, I have an all NBA caliber talent on my roster. I can't just ask him to be Clay Thompson running off screens, you know, yeah. trying to hit uh, movement threes. No, you're right. That's not correlative. That's causative, right? There's a direct relationship between the roles of one and the other, mm -hmm. um, which is unfortunate. And so basically in the beginning of the year, as you said, Pascal Siakam was playing shooting guard. Uh, Scotty Barnes was initiating a lot more plays. His usage was higher. He was put in positions where he is most comfortable and he was phenomenal. Uh, the Raptors offense was... Um, the worst in the league, right? And, and Scotty Barnes, for all of his talent and his abilities, is not capable of lifting this roster yeah. to offensive success on his own. Um, that's not a knock on Scotty Barnes. That is, one, he's in his third year, right? Two, mm -hmm. this is almost the opposite of the roster you'd want to put around him to make his offensive game pop. Yeah. Uh, and... As you say, there is an all-NBA caliber guy sitting right there on the roster that you're wasting. And so after about nine games, they asked Pascal Siakam to play in the post in isolation a lot more. It's much more static. It's the exact opposite of how Scotty Barnes drives, which is in handoffs and more dynamic plays and pace and motion from the middle of the floor. Well, Siakam likes the middle of the floor much slower. He is thriving in that situation. And I should add, lifting Toronto's offense far above what it was in the beginning of the year, right? So Seattle thriving is better statistically for the Raptors now than Barnes thriving. Uh, he's not lifting them to, you know, a championship level offense or anything like that. Uh, and, and, you know, Barnes is playing better with Siakam as the, um, as the definitive foundation than Siakam was playing with Barnes as the foundation. So, you know, Siakam is better able, or pardon me, Barnes is better able to blend into a different system that doesn't, you know, emphasize his strengths. Uh, it's really interesting, you know, the push and pull between the two of them. I think yeah. Rakovic has had some games where he's done a phenomenal job of blending their, their two strengths. Uh, Barnes is playing a lot more with the bench where they 
institute the offense that works best with him, but you know, the talent isn't really there yet. So Mm -hmm. it's a work in progress. Um, As you say, though, there's, there's definitely a uh, causative relationship when it comes to roles between the two of them and which one is easier for either of them to succeed in. Yeah, I think watching Pascal sort of feels like watching a surgeon operate where it's quiet in the room. We're going about this in a very methodical manner, whereas Scotty Barnes at his best looks like a jazz musician, right? He's playing off his fellow band members. It's all a little bit improvisational. It can go slightly wrong in some places, but you hide that with your next great play. So just to continue that metaphor, because I love that, uh, a surgeon might be more distracted by a jazz musician in the room than a jazz musician by a surgeon in the room. Uh, I love that description of them both, by the way. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we'll probably get to assigning professions to the next three Raptors starters <laughs> shortly, but I think we'll probably move away from that two-man game to a two-man game that was much hyped before the start of the season in Milwaukee, in the state of Illinois. I hope I'm right or I'm going to look like an absolute clown there. Um, but Giannis and Dane, Massive trade, right? You know, blowing up the entire foundation of the Bucks championship core. I think Drew, we're seeing, was so instrumental in that success, particularly in their sort of defensive pick and roll coverage. There was this idea that Dane was going to come into the Bucks offense and be a system onto himself, much like we're saying that Scotty can't quite do that and raise a team to a playoff level yet. Dane did that time and time again for Portland, but it's early stages. We're, we're just about 20 games into the season. And it's it's sort of been lukewarm watching those two play together. I think that game after game, we're seeing progressions. We're seeing them used, but not so much of that pick and roll, which has confused me, Lewis. Is that something that you expected? I know that you wrote about Dame both going to Toronto before the trade went down. And I'm sure that you will have written about Dame being in Milwaukee yeah, post that massive move. So what were you expecting and what for Okay, so very quickly, Wisconsin. Not oh, man. <laughs> it's okay. They're, they're close. Um, yeah, so as you say, um, not what we all expected to start the year. Um, I think a lot of that was just they're finding their footing. And both mm-hmm. players are selfless to the point of problematism in their relationship at least early on like you watch the pick and rolls between them and Lillard you know passed to Giannis even though he had an open shot and then Giannis was downhill and threw it to teammate even though he had a lane they just weren't trying to find their own positions of strength and without establishing their abilities the team just wasn't really working when the two of them were together and you could even see you know, the, the the with and without on off net rating. Um, still, the team is better with, the team is best with Giannis, no Dame. Yep. Then the next best is Dame, no Giannis. And then the worst is with them both together. Uh, and they still have a slightly positive net rating, but, you know, it's um, about the same as the Raptors, for example, when they're both together, which is very surprising. Now that was dragged down a lot by the beginning of the year. And again, yep. as you said, uh, it's been getting a lot, a lot better. And I actually think the pick and roll has been improving significantly. So there was a pretty um, dramatic jump uh, against Charlotte midway through November. Yep. Um, where I thought Dane was really consistent at forcing the issue with his own 
scoring. Lillard didn't become who he is as a passer. Don't get me wrong. He's a great passer, but he is able to, you know, be a seven-time All-NBA player because of his ability to score the ball whenever he wants. And the passing flows from that. And I think against Charlotte, he really pushed his scoring in the pick and roll with Giannis. And from there, it really grew against um, against Milwaukee. Um, they did a really good job against Boston, which was just maybe uh, like a week after that Charlotte game. Uh, they scored like eight points in the pick and roll, just the two of them in the last in the last five minutes on three mm-hmm. possessions. It was like a Dame pull up three, um, a Dame layup, then a Dame pull up three, uh, three straight pick and rolls in the last five minutes to bring the game really close. They of course uh, lost. But uh, to, to make it not a blowout. And so we've seen really significant improvements. And I think the one thing that a lot of Boston people might, or pardon me, a lot of Milwaukee pe- uh, fans might be missing, Forest for the Trees, is this team has a lot of leeway. Like one of the biggest differences between the Raptors and the Bucks is if the Raptors don't play to the best of their abilities, they're not winning games. Yep. Like they need to outplay teams. And they need to shoot okay from deep. And they need to hit their free throws. And, you know, on and on and on. They have a, they have a tightrope to walk. Whereas the Bucks yeah. do not have a tightrope. They can play poorly for 40 minutes and say, okay, Dane, here's the ball in the last eight. Go win the game. Right? They, they just did that. They were down, what, like 30 the other day against Detroit, I think? Uh, yeah, I think it was either 26 against Portland or Washington. Yeah, Portland. yeah, yeah exactly. Just either team and it's you're you're just watching you know for me it might be checking in on league pass or looking down at the app and seeing my god what's happening you know scoot henderson is having a good game what the hell's going on i i didn't expect this but they seem to be pulling the rabbit out of the hat time and time again but you're right they're they're able to pull results out of the bag without necessarily playing well and over you know this side of the pond in the uk when you're speaking about football that's always the much used um, tagline of, oh, if you want to be a championship team, you need to be able to win when you're not playing well, right? Yeah. It's basically how you cover up anxiety that your team has stopped playing well. It's, well, we're winning well, we're not playing well. That's championship DNA right there. I, I think one of the things that's probably complicated the pick and roll is if you think back to the situations that Dame has had in Portland for the last few years, in terms of the players that have screened for him, it's almost always been a 1-5 pick and roll. Mm. And I think that that makes it quite simple in terms of not only your offensive setup, but your defensive setup as well. I think there was, we maybe overstated the idea that Brook Lopez can simply just play as a spacer. You put him in the corner, you run 1-4 pick and roll at the top of the key and you let those two go to work. I think that in practice that... Sure, that might work on the offensive end, but then you're asking 36, 37-year-old Brooke Lopez to run back and be the foundation of your defence, whether it's a make or a miss. And he's stationed in the corner. I think one of our issues has been with Milwaukee, the fact that you're trying to navigate not only having the best offensive setup on one side, but also just mitigating the amount of running that poor Brooke Lopez has to do to get back in a drop on the pick and roll for the next possession. I think that we've seen a lot of Dame Lopez pick and roll for that reason. And I think that as the season goes on and, you know, as the Bucks players keep telling Adrian Griffin how they want to play, they'll probably figure that out on that end a little bit more. And we might see more uh, Giannis-Dame synergy. That's a really good point. 
And just to back that up with some stats that I just looked at, uh, fourth mm -hmm. transition defensive team last year, uh, 22nd this year. Um, so yeah, having your best defender, having to run further to get back on defense, exactly as you say, has some downsides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, poor guy had back surgery a couple of years ago. I can't believe the level that Brook Lopez is playing at on both ends of the floor this year. Really leaned into his offensive game in the last few games. Had, I think, maybe a 14 for 17 night in one of those Portland or Washington comebacks. Have you been impressed with the way that the Bucks have been using Brook this year? Absolutely. I mean, I think what Brook Lopez is doing uh, in the big picture is remarkable. Mm -hmm. You know, he's reinvented his game so many times from like a post artist to a spot up guy uh, to this rim protector, you know, the best shot blocker in the league, maybe yeah. until Victor Wembanyama comes of age. Um, <laughs> but he wasn't these things before. It's remarkable. But that's the big picture. If you zoom in on the small picture, it looks very reproducible. Like the shots he's making aren't circus shots. They're, you know, little floaters in the middle of the lane that he's always made you know three yeah. pointers that he's made for a long time offensive rebounds little finishes teammates make for him so on one hand it's you know incredible what he's done with his career but if you look really closely it it looks very reproducible stuff he could do you know for the next five years of his career i see no reason why he can't you know play it play even longer it's just uh it's it's really impressive how uh, consistent he is at providing that value on both ends yeah i think in another life brooke is probably uh representing spain in the olympics in the shot put just has that floater shot down to a t lovely form on it and I, i'm just shot by the range that he he decides to hit it at is you know it's like trey young at times just pulling up for the floater and you think yeah. he's a big seven foot big man just you know wonderful wonderful touch really soft hands from one sort of key bucks player to another uh chris middleton's had a much slower start to the year recovering from an injury was on a minutes restriction i think he's uh maybe re-aggravated an injury and he's still sort of there they're managing his load pretty softly do you think that do you think that this sort of um downturn in form for chris is permanent or do you think it's merely sort of shaking off the rust and he might round out into form as the season goes on yeah, I think it's just shaking up the rust. Like, if you look at the per-minute numbers, he's as good as he's ever been, right? Before the injury, he was one of the most consistent players in the NBA. I actually have always wanted to um, to do this math that it'll take me so long and I don't have anyone paying me to do it, so I haven't done it. I just okay. want to look at everyone's game-to-game -game scoring and look at the variability between games. Um, I, would, I would be so certain that Chris Middleton during that four-year stretch before his injury would have been the, the least variable scoring in the league. It was like between 18 or 23 points every game, no matter what. It was crazy. Um, and on a per-minute basis, he is exactly what he was as a scorer. I mean, he just closed out the Heat last night. I don't know when you're publishing, but you know, very recently, he was phenomenal. He hit that little spinning mid-ranger to basically finish the game against the Heat. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a passer, I think he's actually made huge strides in a way that he, you know, was not two or three years ago. Uh, I, I see no reason why he can't be the third star for the Bucks when they need him to be. Um, you know, the injury stuff is 
obviously concerning. I don't have inside information as to the health, but when he plays it, it looks great. It's just a lot of 18 minute nights, 12 minute nights, you know, DNPs. But you have to hope that's not preventative. That's just cautionary saying we don't need him right now. We're still winning a lot of games. When the games count, he's going to be playing 30 minutes a game. That's what I assume. Yeah, um, little public service announcement. Someone needs to pay Lewis to do that maths because <laughs> that's something that I've been interested in for a really long time. I think that, um, you know, maybe we've scratched the surface on it on a team-to-team basis where you might have looked at Miami last year as an eight seed, eight seed going into the playoffs, having this really sort of stodgy offense. And then they get into the playoffs, they're picking up so many threes and they're able to go on these hot streaks it's one of these things where you think, ah, oh, for the regular season, Chris Middleton, fantastic. Pencil him in for X amount of points per night, guaranteed. And then conversely, I'm going to use a terrible example here because I don't think that anyone would trust him in the playoffs. Carl Anthony Towns seems to go from out of the league to top five player on a night-to-night yeah. basis. He's been on an absolute heater to start the year, but then we'll throw in the occasional seven-point game where he gets into foul trouble early. So... Lewis, I hope that one day you get to do that maths and I hope that you'll pay very handsomely for <laughs> it. Um, I, I think that it's interesting that we sort of touch upon that variability because I, I look at the Bucks and I look at what they've been for the last couple of years and I see this Chris Middleton-esque team, right, where you knew what you were getting on a night-to-night basis, just an incredibly solid level that Mike Budenholzer system ends to sort of insulate you against shot variability it's just um it's a regular season winning machine right but i think a lot of people have looked at the lillard trade and the complexion of the roster and they think if this if this group gets it together then the level they can hit is going to be a lot higher do you do you hold that opinion do you think that the early signs are that this team if they come together can compete at the top of the East and, you know, with the Nuggets or the Timberwolves or whoever we expect to come out of the West? Without a doubt, yeah. And that was the whole point of all of this, right? Not just the Lillard trade, also the hiring of Adrian Griffin. um, Is they wanted more defensive versatility. Um, They wanted more pace in the offense, more passing, more movement. Uh, And the fact that they're able to make such revolutionary changes and still win games is really, really impressive. It looked early in the year like they weren't able to do that. Uh-huh. Um, they've really come around. But as you say, you know, the, they, the actual performance uh, is not what it was in the past few years. Their net rating right now, I think it's just below three, um, not in the top 10 in the league. Right. Um, right? So you, it's a lot lower than the box have been since 2017, 2018. I think would be the last time the Bucks were this bad in the regular season. And so uh, at the same time, that's not the point of this team, right? If they won 60 games and then they lose in even the Eastern conference finals, no one's applauding, right? That's no one is happy with that. Whereas for most teams, if the Raptors won 60 games and lost in the Eastern conference finals, everyone's applauding. It's just a different expectation and a different goal for the season. And the Bucs mm-hmm. are doing a really good job, I think, of saying regular season, we'll do what we need to, but mostly we're figuring it out. We're figuring out who we are, what works well, so that when it counts, we have that in the bag. Consistency in the regular season, I think, is a little overrated when it comes to winning the championship. Uh, yeah. In fact, the last several champions 
the Denver Nuggets last year had a miserable stretch during the regular season where their defense was terrible. The Raptors just beat them with ease last year when the Raptors were free falling. Um, and yet when it mattered, they just steamrolled the competition. You know, the Lakers had a similar thing. Um, I remember the Raptors during their championship year, uh, mm. they lost to the Orlando Magic on some random Sunday at by like 20. And then right. they played the Magic in the first round and everyone's like, oh no, it's the Magic. They didn't, they didn't care about the regular season. It didn't matter yeah. to them. And, and the, every champion has had that, you know, ever since the Shaq Kobe Lakers improved their net rating by like 12 points from the regular season to the, to the playoffs. Everyone yeah. thinks they can do that. A lot of teams think they can and can't. But when most champions are able to flip the switch, they just have to figure out the electricity first. And that's what the Bucks are working on. Yeah, I think even Milwaukee a couple of years ago really experimented with some of their defensive coverages. Yeah, so they were a lot more versatile. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it certainly paid dividends in the postseason. I think still sticking on defense, we've sort of spoken about Lillard, we've spoken about Giannis, about Brooke, about Chris. The players that I look at that can sort of swing what we expect of this Milwaukee team, it, it might be interesting, but I think that there's a lot of weight on Andre Jackson Jr. and Marjon Beauchamp this year, just in terms of they've lost so much of that uh, sort of potency at the point of attack. They've lost so much of that just energy uh, getting rid of Drew Holiday. They've lost that defensive infrastructure. I think that those two are going to have to hit higher levels than they perhaps hit before and actually be able to play at a solid role player level. Lewis, what's been your thought on, I, I think Andre Jackson Jr. is the guy that's really caught my eye and Marjon Beauchamp is still, um, you know, there are still questions to be answered. Do you think those two are going to be important for a championship run? Absolutely. And I would add Malik Beasley into that, into that group mm -hmm. as well. I just yeah. think the shooting guard position, and by the way, just the, I am writing a piece right now about those three guys at the shooting guard position. So, nice. um, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to everything in life. That's a ridiculous way to start this, but just bear with me. Um, and on one hand, yeah, exactly. I'm starting <laughs> yeah, to get On one hand, you know, having these really established guys at every other position outside of shooting guard, amazing, right? They're all NBA players and all defensive players, but you know what you're getting and you can't ask for something different. Whereas at the shooting guard spot, because there's players that haven't won many accolades, yep. you don't owe anyone 36 minutes a night. If And whatever you need, you can be versatile. The, that's where the flexibility for this team comes in. And I've been really impressed with this sort of three-headed hydra um, from Beasley, Jackson, and, and Beauchamp and their ability to sort of help the team shapeshift in small but meaningful ways. And so Beasley, um, I mean, he's been the uh, one of the biggest gunners in the league. I remember I wrote a piece about um, Buddy Heald sort of changing his game when he went to Indiana. And I did a really um, ramshackle statistical look at gunners, which is I added up all the other box score stats other than three-point attempts and just <laughs> subtracted them from three-point attempts. And who had the most three-point, who had the biggest remainder, right? Like who had more three-point attempts than all the other box score stats combined. And uh, Malik Beasley was like, if he wasn't first on the list, he was second or third. He was just, he's yeah. a gunner, man. And uh, I know Griffin has asked him to be a defensive stopper, and it's been 
you know, a little bit iffy. I've been impressed mm-hmm. with his activity, at least, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the walk and trail and that sort of chase from behind um, defensive look. He's not Drew Holiday, right? And it's unfair to ask him to be, but I think he has, you know, done fairly well. Um, but when you want defense, Andre Jackson Jr. has been phenomenal. I mean, he's got great hands. He's very active, really physical. He knows when to bump guys without fouling them. Uh, great tagger, that sort of weak side roaming defensive thing. You mentioned Barnes and Giannis invented it. And I mean, maybe not invented it, but but perfected it. Um, yeah. Jackson's really good at that. Uh, and he makes unbelievably fast decisions on the offensive end. He's the best passer of the three. Uh, really good cutter and finisher. And then Beauchamp is like an advantage converter where he is one of the league's best at taking a handoff, seeing the defense in rotation and just going to the rim and finishing. Um, He actually has one of the highest points per chance, according to Second Spectrum, as a handoff receiver, uh, which reflects that one of the most efficient finishers in transition. So he is maybe the best player on the roster outside of Giannis and Dame at just turning the advantages those two create into easy baskets for himself. Uh, and so I'm, I've been really impressed with the three of them. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of stuff you would like each of them to sort of work on. You know, Bush and Fowles too much. Um, he makes silly mistakes because he's so young and hasn't seen a lot of time. Uh, Jackson really needs to establish himself as a shooter and get a little bit of a reputation. Um, Beasley, I think, needs to be a little more consistent in his on-ball choices when he doesn't shoot. Like he can, you can blitz him and sort of uh, throw off the offensive possession. But but those are small things. No one's asking them to be stars. And I just think the sort of the three, um, like transformer looks that each of them offers give some flexibility that the team just doesn't have anywhere else on the roster. Yeah, yeah. I think Malik Beasley has probably suffered the most from a single play going viral on Twitter. That sort of controller, the controller disconnect. That's what it was. It was my my controller's run out of battery. I've forgotten to move. And I think that that shaped a lot of people's opinions of Malik Beasley. I think it's interesting that you sort of speak about utility at the shooting guard for the Bucks because one of the other bright spots of the season for the Raptors has been their starting shooting guard for most of the you know games so far. I, I would probably pencil that in as OG Ananobi. I was gonna uh, ask who's your yeah yeah well exactly you know they're all six foot nine it's the projects this is just a hangover from the philosophy that we've been following but um OG one of the players that if you could add to the Bucks, he might make the most sense in the league to round out that starting five. They do not have the pick capital to do that nor do they have the pick capital to go out there and get Alex Caruso. That's just a quick side note. They are not getting Alex Caruso. Please, NBA media, stop suggesting that a few seconds is going to get it done. I think that someone's going to come in there with a really big offer in and around the trade deadline. But OG just, uh, I, I think, probably his highest level of play to date, just bombing away from three on really high volume, leads the league in corner three attempts or corner three makes. I can't remember, one of the two. And offensively, I've loved seeing him, uh, sorry, defensively rather, I've loved seeing him go to work at the point of attack on really difficult matchups. Just one of the most enjoyable players to watch on the defensive end for the impact that he can have on players that very few can in the NBA. He's always been a really good shooter from the day he stepped into the league, but he's had a little bit of a slow load up. And, you know, he's not a shooter on the move. He needs his balance, his feet set under him. He's 
purely stationary. And so it's mm-hmm. been a little bit of a task for the Raptors to say, how do we get your volume up, right? How do we get you taking more threes? And this year, for the first time, really, I think, since maybe the like the 19, or the 2021 year, that right. he's taken a jump in that, in that regard. He's shooting a little bit more on the move. The sidestep three is looking phenomenal. He even has a step back three that looks great. Um, he is taking more contested threes. The jump in, in just getting those shots up has been great because he's going to make them. Like if he, if he shoots six threes a game, he's probably going to make three. If he shoots 12 threes a game, he's probably going to make five. It's just, where is he going to get those 12 threes from, right? A guy like Steph Curry could shoot 30. He can just get up as many as he wants because he's so flexible. He, he can shoot however he wants. He runs off screen. It's hard for most people, right? Not everyone can do that. And so that's been the biggest improvement, I think. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of little stuff. He's had, like, if we're looking at the micro micro skill, he had some really impressive sort of drag step finishes where he used his, like, his foot as a rudder to sort of steer him through the defense. Yeah. Um, he has, I mean, he finishes everything with dunks. He's always, he's such an impressive finisher around the rim. Despite people criticizing his balance and stuff like that, He's just always been a good finisher because he's, he's a freight train. Dunks everything. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. The best season in his career, probably, um, even though you can't really point to any one thing and say, wow, he's a star there. It's just, it's just small improvements in a couple categories that he needed. And, you know, he's so consistent as a defender and as a shooter. You don't need a whole lot to be like a star impact level guy. I'm looking forward to the 2000 word feature on OG and Anobi drag step finishes coming on Raptors Republic in a couple I almost of weeks. wrote that. Sure. I, there was a night no, you where didn't. I forget what it was. I had two pieces in mind. Uh, right. And one was purely on this one drag step finish. And I was just going to write a whole piece about it. But I didn't mm. yet. But I should. Fair enough. Right. I'm I'm slightly conscious of time. So we've got two things that I want to talk about. I think that we could probably do a whole podcast on the successes and the failures that Darko Ryakovic and Adrian Griffin Jr. have had so far this season. I think probably through the podcast, we've touched on some of the changes that they've made. Adrian Griffin Jr. has been really reactive in actually um, sort of listening to his players and altering the defensive scheme. And they're working to integrate uh dame and Giannis into the offense together more and more he's he's spinning a lot of plates right now basically mm-hmm. trying to get chris middleton back into the team that is a that's a team in a real state of flux and i think that he's probably had a unnecessarily harsh rap so far in terms of how he's got on you know after all this is a team that are in and around the top of the eastern conference darko again i i think that he's he's trying to change a lot of things it's interesting that he's as we said earlier, he's um, chosen to play more to Pascal uh, in the last few games in terms of getting him those post touches, increasing his usage. I think that the defensive coverage has altered a little bit as well throughout the season. I think that both managers doing a fairly decent job. It's not necessarily a situation where you're looking and going, oh my God, what has either of these teams done? You can see the merits in their decisions. Lewis, any big takes in terms of those two their tenures so far no i agree with you i think the the biggest um, link between the two is exactly what you said they mm-hmm. listen they've listened to their players they've made changes right so adrian griffin on the defensive side you know switching to more of that drop defense to capitalize on brooke lopez yeah um, 
and Darko Ryakovich on the offensive side, switching to Pascal Siakam in the post. They have listened to what their players have asked for and changed what they philosophically have wanted as a result. And I really respect that in coaches. Right? Listening to players is, is very valuable. Um, a big difference, though, uh, Adrian Griffin coaches the team he has. Uh, he is instituting sets for the, the players on the roster right. to maximize them, to make them work best together. He is trying to build a foundation for what's in place. Whereas Darko Rakovic's entire, um, you know, MO mantra. right now. Yeah. Pardon me? His mantra. His, uh, yeah, his mantra. He's his trying state. to build for a team that's not there yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they are running an offense for the next iteration of this Raptors franchise. And a couple guys will be on the team. Scotty Barnes will be on the team with certainty. Right? OG Ananobi might. Grady Dick definitely will be. Um, but it's kind of uncertain who else will be on this team. Uh, I think we can say quite likely Pascal Siakam won't be. And so they have very different jobs. And one of the reasons why we talked earlier about, you know, the tension between Siakam's success, which correlates more with the team's success than Barnes' success, even though they are a little bit, um, uh, mutually exclusive in, in small ways but the reason why Ryakovich is tilting the team so much more towards Barnes is because it's going to be his team in the future and they're going to run that offense not Siakam's post-up offense in a year in two years when this roster more reflects what the team is building towards and so those are very different jobs um I think both have done a, a pretty good job I, you know I've always uh, said coaches are very hard to judge we only see the tip of the iceberg for what they do in their roles but you know in terms of the very minimal amount that we've seen i've been quite impressed with both of them in terms of um, billing for the very different jobs that they have Mm, i really want to come back to what you said about darko and coaching basically for the team that he wants not the team that he has currently i think that as they were last season the toronto raptors are one of the more interesting teams going into the trade deadline this year uh, interesting that you say you don't think that Pascal is going to be on the next iteration of the team. Interesting that you say that OG probably will. I, I think that if um, if you're just playing 2K and players can't make requests and you know you can sign your yeah. guys before free agency, etc., uh, then you probably go forward with Barnes and OG as sort of your cornerstones of the team and you're trying to add movement shooting, complementary playmakers, maybe another sort of primary ball handler somewhere down the line. Uh, I I don't necessarily want to ask what's your projection for the future because it's just an absolute, you know, it's all up in the air at the moment. But if you were, if you were um, Darko's chief consultant on the team and you saw the offense that he wanted to play and you saw that he wanted to build it around Scotty, what sort of players would you be targeting? What what are we trying to reach for the Raptors in the next couple of years? Yeah, so I have a, I have a fun piece about this that I wrote maybe um, late last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe it was in the offseason. I don't know. They all blend together. But, you know, how do you build a team around Scotty Barnes? What types of players do you want? And I mm-hmm. think there's a number of archetypes that the team needs but doesn't currently have. So, one, you need pull-up shooting. The team currently has zero pull-up shooters. Um, Outside Gary Trent Jr., who's, you know, so limited as a passer and driver that you can pretty easily take away the pull-up shot. 
without conceding yep. anything else. So I don't really consider him that devastating a pull-up shooter. Um, you need one of those. It doesn't need to be, you know, Steph Curry. It could be Tyus Jones or or Monty Morris, but you need a point guard who can just shoot over the screen because you need to force the defense to move up because Barnes is so deadly in space. Without a pull-up shooter, it's just very difficult to unlock him as a screener, which I think is one of his greatest strengths. Um, at the same time, he is such a phenomenal passer that you want cutters around him. You want impressive finishers who can also shoot. And so that's why I think he's always had so much success with Chris Boucher. Because even though Boucher's never been a knockdown shooter, he's willing to let it fly, which works really well with Barnes. And he just cuts like a madman. Barnes will always find him. He's found him for so many layups over their, their, their careers together. It's phenomenal. And if you just find bigs who can shoot and cut, that will work so well with Scotty Barnes. And honestly, you know, two years ago, that's a tough ask, right? A big who can shoot and cut, that's impossible. But if you look at all the guys coming out of college now, Chet Holmgren, I mean, Victor Wambanyama, not that you can just get those guys, but the the archetype, every big wants to shoot now. Every big wants to cut now. It's just, it's mandatory for bigs. We're living in Brooke Lopez's shadow as a league. And so I think it'll be a little bit easier to find guys who can fit. Preston Shichua, for example, you know, if he is maximized as a player, could fit really, really well in this future. Um, And then I think you want a lot of guys uh, who can shoot, obviously. Like, they don't need to do a whole lot. But, you know, Otto Porter Jr., for example, is a guy who he's smart. He'll be in the right place. And he's just going to hit the open shot you make for him. Uh, If you just stalk Barnes alongside guys like that, you're going to have a good offense. Um, yeah, I thought Grady Dick, for example, was a phenomenal choice to draft alongside Scotty Barnes, someone who can just, you know, I look at really simple offensive actions like Chicago, where it's like a wide pin down into uh, into that dribble handoff. And it's just mm-hmm. someone who can hit a three coming out of Chicago or Zoom, you know, rise up on the move is so important. Someone who just sprints through the cut. The Raptors had no one on the roster who actually ran through cuts until Grady Dick got here. Now, it just so happens he hasn't made his threes. That sucks. But someone who can weaponize simple looks like that, you know, simple stuff, Chicago, get actions, will really make Barnes deadly. Because as we said, he thrives most in those broken plays. And if you can turn the defense into a broken play whenever you want, but just by running simple sets, that's going to weaponize Barnes at his best. Yeah, a uh, little self-plug here. Last week, I had Mike Prader on the podcast to celebrate his one-year anniversary of Spaced Out coming out. And we spoke about Spaced Out natives. And I think, Lewis, when you speak about a new archetype of big, they're certainly on the way from the conversation that we had. And Grady is a real Spaced Out native in that um, he he interprets space on the court at a really high level where it can just be subtle lifts subtle movements drifts across the court where he's not necessarily i i always like the comparison between him and jordan hawkins because jordan hawkins looks like he's running at a track meet to get open whether that be out in transition or sort of your reggie miller style run through a flurry of screens grady you look and you think how did he get open there and it's just a subtle movement that he's read while other guys are paying attention to you know the primary action uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. Some of the some of the players that I've 
projected to Toronto in the last couple of months because I love a trade machine. Everyone loves a trade machine. Uh, I wrote an article about a possible Siakam Ivy swap. I think that that could be a decent long-term idea in terms of a guy that can play both on and off ball, but also just be an advantage creator with the ball in his hands. I think that there's um, there'd be a lot of synergy in Sacramento as a trade partner for OG Ananobi because I think that if you can get either Malik Monk or Kevin Herter in a Toronto Raptors uniform, then that could really, really open up some stuff for Scotty and just give him guys that are comfortable either creating for themselves or moving off the ball, but ultimately, you know, being those really great pull-up threats. Um, and then again, I, I did a, I did another one where I, I, I pitched Zach Levine to the Toronto Raptors as well. I don't know what your feelings are about that. I think that from an archetype perspective, Zach is the exact guy that you're looking for. You spoke about a guy that can cut with the athleticism. You speak about a guy that has that pull-up shot that at his best can work on ball and off ball. But I think a combination of the contract, the knees, and I don't like saying the attitude. I don't think there's an attitude problem there. I think if you look at the history of his tenure in Chicago, most players would have absolutely sunk. This is a guy that's been able to score 27 points per game, get himself into all-star games. I, I don't blame him for not being the guy to lift the franchise out of you know, uh, GM ruin. Zach's another guy that I'm interested in from a Raptors perspective. Lewis, you're, you're smirking. This is an audio podcast, but I, I sense that you've got something to say on Zach. I once said that I would love to see Zach Levine in a Raptors uniform because of how well he'd fit alongside Barnes at a live podcast and I got booed by the crowd, but I'm no. with you. I think you would, I think he's just, you would still need, you know, a, a, a very good point guard because he's not the best as an advantage creator for other guys, but man, as a, as a converter, that wing running around off ball with Barnes as his screener and sort of capitalizing in the wake of his cuts and shooting. Oh man, what a duo. They'd be phenomenal together. They would be excellent. I think that we could probably prognosticate on many different players to play next to Scotty Barnes. He's just that style of player where uh, I think that he'd bring out the best in so many almost like sub all-star level guys where they've got two thirds of the skill set and Scotty can just either bring that out in a handoff game as a screener or as a guy that can you know open up space by his own sort of gravity that he's going to command over the years. Uh, but Lewis, I know that we're we're short on time. I hope that you've really enjoyed your time on the podcast and I hope that I can have you back on again in a few months. And we just, we do a Raptors Dream Trade Targets podcast, you know, really try and get the clicks in. One of those. Have you had oh, a good it's time? Been a blast. It's been a blast. Honestly, man, I, I really, really appreciate the um, the thoughtfulness you put into your, your prep, your understanding of, you know, all the teams. I love your metaphors, your description. On, thank you so much for having me on. And of course, I'd love to be back whenever you'll have Oh, I will have you every single day of the week, man. But you are a busy, busy person over there at Raptors Republic. You can find a link to the Raptors Republic site in the description of this podcast. You can find Lewis's Twitter. I'll try and link one of the most recent articles that he written that he's written so you can see just how good a writer he is when he's talking about hoops. Uh, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Drop Step. I've had a blast. We'll be back again next week for another episode. Thank you for tuning in. See you later.